Hello, my name is Marissa Plaza, and this episode is going to be about the wrongful conviction of a man named Charles Chapman. To begin, I'm going to go over the details of the case itself. The crime occurred on the morning of January 15, 1981, when a 52-year-old woman was raped in her bed in her apartment in Dallas, Texas. While exiting, the offender stole $15 along with several other items and then drove away. After calling the police, the victim was examined at a nearby hospital where biological evidence was collected from her body. When describing her attacker, the victim said he had black hair and facial hair, and although she usually wore glasses and was not wearing them when the crime occurred, she said she could still see his features. However, she never mentioned anything about his teeth, which is particularly interesting because Chapman was missing his front teeth from a previous football accident. One day after the attack, the victim identified Chapman in a photo lineup, and two weeks after that, she identified him in an in-person lineup. During this second lineup, she also mentioned that she recognized Chapman as a man that had been in her neighborhood several times over the last few years, though she did not disclose this information at the initial crime. During the trial, there were two key pieces of evidence that led to a conviction. The first was the eyewitness identification from the victim of Chapman. She identified Chapman as the perpetrator in the courtroom. The second was testimony from a serologist who explained the results of labs done by the Southwest Institute of Forensic Sciences. The serologist stated that the biological evidence found on the victim's bed showed that it came from a type O secretor. This simply means that the person who left the evidence has blood type antigens that are found in other bodily fluids like saliva and seminal fluid. The serologist testified that Chapman was also found to be a type O secretor and that 40% of black men are type O secretors. At the end of this trial, Chapman was found guilty and sentenced to 99 years in prison. After 20 years in prison, Chapman got his first glimpse of freedom when Texas passed a law allowing inmates to request DNA testing if it could potentially prove their innocence. In 2002, Chapman's petition to access DNA testing was approved. Unfortunately, at that time, there wasn't enough evidence nor advanced enough technology to use the remaining DNA from the case to build a profile. It wasn't until 2007 that Chapman's attorney learned that YSTR testing could use a very small amount of DNA to determine a profile. Testing was then done using the sperm cells found on the bedsheet of the crime, and the results proved that another man had committed the crime. On January 3, 2008, 27 years after being convicted, Charles Chapman was released. In this case, the cause of Mr. Chapman's wrongful conviction can be attributed to eyewitness misidentification. According to the Innocence Project, eyewitness misidentifications are the leading factor in wrongful convictions, as they contribute to around 69% of the more than 375 wrongful convictions in the United States that have been overturned by DNA evidence. Given that mistakes in eyewitness identification lead police down false investigative paths, take time away from pursuing the real perpetrator, and continue to be found inaccurate, it's surprising that reform has not yet been implemented. The most clear problems that contribute to misidentifications include unintentional cues and bias from lineup administrators, inaccurate confidence levels from victims, and the malleable nature of memory. When conducting a photo lineup, the administrator usually knows who the suspect is and may give accidental cues to the victim about which person to pick. To combat this, a practice known as the double-blind procedure should be used, in which neither the victim nor the administrator knows who the suspect is. 
Confidence levels in victims can also be detrimental to the accuracy of an identification because oftentimes the victim will not be 100% sure about their decision, but the administrator is not allowed to document this. Additionally, after going through the lineup process, their decision may be supported by information given to them after the identification has been made that will make them falsely more confident than they were. This false confidence is what gets displayed at trial. In order to eliminate this issue, confidence statements should be taken immediately after the lineup procedure, where the victim is allowed to assert their own level of confidence. Finally, several studies have been done on the nature of memory, and it has been found that memory can be influenced by external factors. Dr. Elizabeth Loftus conducted a study proving that memory is malleable and can be heavily influenced by external factors such as positive reinforcement or pressure. Although there is no easy reform to combat this problem, it acts as an important reminder to law enforcement and the public that eyewitness identification can be unreliable and must be considered with extreme care and caution. I wanted to mention quickly as well that the serologist testimony that was used as evidence in this convicted conviction was conducted properly, and the serologist expert explained that while Mr. Chapman is a typo contributor, so are 40% of black men. At the end of the day, Charles Chapman is now a free man due to DNA exoneration, but his imprisonment could have been prevented in the first place if the right safeguards were implemented.